we're going to be reading um, from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 7. If you join me in the reading here then. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that we can gather here today. Uh, we ask that you bless those that can't join us in uh, the COVID situation going on in church, and we know they'll all be back with us, and they'll do just fine and recover from it. We pray for our leaders in this church, especially our pastor, as he, as he delivers this sermon and uh, preaches the sovereign word to us. We uh, cannot think enough that we can gather here in the freedoms we have, Lord, and we ask that you bless us after we leave here today and everyone watching us online as well, Lord. We praise this in your name, Father. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Well, imagine with me for a moment uh, that over at the gas station, just, just right there to my left, uh, there's an individual there named Ben. I don't think there is. I tried to pick a name. I think I know most people who work there. I tried to pick a name that I'm aware of isn't there. <laughs> um, imagine that there's someone who works there and their name is Ben. What would it take for us to meet Ben and provide opportunities for him, training for him, uh, so that in roughly 20 years' time, Ben is the next lead pastor at Orangeville Baptist Church. What would that take? How do we do that? Ever think about that? Ever pray about that? What would we need to do? First, uh, we would need to have a, a culture of evangelism where we are burdened for the lost and where we faithfully share the gospel uh, and point people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in him, uh, to turn from their sins uh, and see in him salvation from their sins and then belong to our church family. And what would need to happen after that? Does, does the story end there? Of course not, right? At that point, Ben, having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and belonging to our church family, we need to offer discipleship classes that would train him and equip him. There are many verses that speak about that. Uh, we would need to train him and equip him in the basics of the faith. Uh, we would need to run classes that would teach people how to read the Bible, understand the basics of the faith, uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, and, and more. Is that all we need to do? Or is there more to it? At this point so far, we've shared the gospel by God's grace. He's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He belongs to our church family. We've been discipling him, training him, and equipping him in the things of the Lord. What's next? 
What's next is he needs to be serving in the church. Uh, he needs to be uh, using the gifts that God has given him uh, to serve and to teach and whatever else might be the gifting that the Lord has given him. And why is that important? That's important so that we as a church can test and train and affirm if this is God's leading in his life. Uh, so what I've just gone over you, with you very, very, very quickly, and maybe you caught it as I went through it, but that's our discipleship pathway. Believe, belong, become, build, right? Hopefully by now that's very, very familiar to you, and you're almost getting sick of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> Believe, belong, become, build. It is my deep conviction and passion that the local church is the place that God intends and has designed to develop disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, the local church, is the tool that God has or designed and shaped to form his followers into increasingly maturing followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. The local church is not just one of many organizations that God uses equally to make disciples. Not even close. The local church is God's primary context. For sure, the local church can and should collaborate with other local sister churches in Christ. And the, lo the local church uh, should work with other uh, biblical organizations. But what the local church cannot and must not do is outsource discipleship to other people and delegate discipleship to other organizations. Again, the local church is the primary engine for discipleship. Discipleship is what God wants the church to do. That's the great commission when Christ, uh, just before he ascends, he gives us that mission to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thus we have developed this discipleship pathway, believe, belong, become, build. It's an intentional plan to help move followers of the Lord Jesus Christ from pagan to pastor. That's the design, that's, that's the purpose. And I can't even begin to express how much that excites me. That God wants to use churches, and, and more specifically, God wants to use Orangeville Baptist Church to raise up pastors, to train up pastors and future leaders, spiritual leaders. Uh, he wants us to take individuals like Ben and raise them up to be spiritual leaders raising them up, the next generation, that is an essential, crucial part of what it means to be a church. And I hope from what you've just heard me say that you don't think I have anything against seminaries. I'm in seminary. <laughs> I've been in it for way too long. Uh, as, as I can afford it, I, I, take, I take those classes. Hopefully this year we'll, we'll wrap that up, <laughs> Lord, Lord willing. Uh, but I, I just want us to understand this morning that seminaries don't make pastors. It's important we understand that. Churches make pastors. Churches make pastors. 
Someone doesn't go to seminary for three years, or in my case, however many years it's been. <laughs> Again, way, way too many. Uh, and suddenly, poof, come out ready to be a pastor. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, someone can have their master's of divinity and absolutely not be qualified to be a pastor. And it's the church's job to identify that. Again, to test and train and affirm those who the Lord have given that inward calling to. Raising up that next generation of spiritual leaders is our great privilege. It's our great responsibility. Again, I believe God has uniquely equipped and empowered the local church to raise up future leaders. Did you know that? Did you know that? Do you believe that? That raising up leaders is part of our commission. That's what our text says, right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The Apostle Paul, writing to Pastor Timothy, says, Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. from Scripture for pastors to be raising up pastors who will raise up pastors who will raise up pastors and who will raise up pastors and on and on and on that goes. That's what our text is teaching and I believe that in light of this text, 2 Timothy 2.2, that we as a church and any church are being irresponsible if we're not taking measures to do this. It is irresponsible to, to outsource it it's irresponsible to leave this up to chance. Raising up future ministers, future leaders, identifying them and encouraging them and praying for them and preparing them is a wonderful opportunity that the Lord has set before us. I, I want to share with you just a short quote that I came across this week that, that quite frankly, uh, rocked me in a few ways. Here's, here's what the quote says. In short, churches should train future pastors he's going to give some reasons. Because the word commends it, the apostolic practice modeled it, the next generation requires it, and the lost shall remain eternally lost without it. Then he says this, if we don't train, who will? Who will? It's quite the thought. And I would say to you this morning, we have no time to waste with this. If you're watching the news, you're aware of all that's going on in our world, we are on the highway to hell, traveling at about light speed. We have no time to waste with this. What is more, the, the church has become theologically sick, anemic. Have you ever heard the saying that the church in America is 3,000 miles wide, but about three inches thick. That's a powerful statement. Theologically, biblically, we're sick. It was no different in Paul's day when he wrote 2 Timothy. Injustice, immorality, false teaching abounded. Paul knows it uh, at this point. And, and with 2 Timothy, Paul, Paul is, has grown old. He's aged. Paul the aged. And if you remember, Paul is in prison. He's in prison in Rome. He has fought the good fight. And his days are coming to an end. 
and he knows it. His apostolic labors are over. He's finished the race. Death is before him. Most likely he was beheaded by Nero. We don't know that for sure. But his, his death is imminent. So now what? what? What does Paul do? Paul must make provision for the faith after he is gone, and especially the transmission to, to future generations. And so he, he writes this letter to Timothy. It's for all intents and purposes his, his last will and testament. And with Paul near death, he writes to Timothy that the precious gospel that he's been defending and proclaiming all around the world, the known world, he now bestows it to Timothy. Timothy, take up the mantle. Guard it, proclaim it, but also raise up future pastors who will then continue to pass that on and on and on and on to future generations. Timothy's work is now the ministry of multiplication. He was to go about the hard work of training up others, releasing them, empowering them so they can replicate him and replace him. My job is to work myself out of a job here. That's my job. I'm trying to work myself out of a job, to replicate and replace, replicate and replace. So point number one, the mission explained, pass on what you have learned. Again, looking at verse two, you have four generations. You have Paul, who has taught Timothy, And what is Timothy supposed to do? He's supposed to take what Paul has taught him and entrust that to other faithful men. So there's the third generation. And that third generation is supposed to do the same thing, teach others. So there's four generations, Paul, Timothy, the faithful, and more faithful, the others. Paul commands Timothy in this text, it's in the imperatival form, Paul commands Timothy to make teachers who will in turn be teachers again and on and on that goes. If you can kind of picture, when I read that verse, what I picture in my mind's eye is a relay race. You know, you have those various legs of the race and they pass the baton on. That's kind of what's happening here. And so the first stage in the spiritual relay was the truth handed from Paul to Timothy. Again, our verse says, Paul says to Timothy, verse two, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Remember, Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been appointed as a preacher and a heralder and a teacher of God's gospel and God's truth. What is the gospel that he's been proclaiming? You don't have to look very far to find it. Uh, Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. In 2 Timothy verses 1, 8 through 10, we have a picture of the gospel that Paul has been defending and proclaiming. Picking it up in verse 8, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, Catch this, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel. You see from those verses, the gospel that Paul has been proclaiming, which just simply means the good news, it's good news because Christ saves us and that salvation is not based on anything we have done. Right? It says he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And so it's good news, it's salvation based on the work and the merit of Christ, and not our work, not our merit. Therefore, it is grace. It is grace given to us, according to this verse, before time began. It's good news. The gospel is good news because it's the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is good news because through Jesus' work on the cross and his death for sin, it says in our verse at the end, verse 9, he, or verse 10, he abolished death and brought life and immortality. So by faith in Jesus Christ, death is destroyed. And eternal life is ours. Eternal, indestructible life is ours. That's the gospel. In our sin, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve his judgment. We deserve eternal death and alienation from God. But in Christ, by faith and by faith alone, we are saved by grace. We are given eternal life. We are forgiven of our sin. That's good news. That's the good news that Paul's traveling the known world preaching. And that's the good news he's passing on to Timothy to keep on that good work. Without that gospel, there's no hope, there's no life, there's no church. Now, again, the apostle is entrusting that gospel to Timothy. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where Paul writes to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. That's a phrase Paul loves in the, in the pastoral epistles. You'll find that often, sound words, sound doctrine. So follow the pattern of the sound words you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit and trusted to you. So connect that verse to 2 Timothy 2.2, where it says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Think about this. Timothy has traveled with Paul for roughly 15 years. In fact, I'm going to be honest, I, I seriously envy Timothy <laughs> that he was able to travel and eat and have everyday conversations with Paul and and pick his brain about a lot of these theological truths and things that, that Paul was teaching. He was able to be there with Paul as he traveled the known world and proclaimed the whole counsel of God's word, both publicly and privately. Timothy was there for 15 years, for most of his second and third missionary journeys. He was there with, when Paul makes his trip back to Jerusalem. He might even have been there as Paul made his trip, uh, his dangerous journey to Rome. And over those 15 years, during those 15 years, uh, he has heard Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, proclaim and defend and guard the truth. And so that's the first relay. Paul is passing that, has passed that to Timothy, but it doesn't stop there. 
Uh, the second stage in the spiritual relay was for Timothy to now take that truth and entrust it to other men who are faithful. <clears throat> the word entrust, which you see again in verse 2, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust has the idea of something very valuable. Uh, think of a, a treasure that you, that you hide or a treasure that you put away in your safe. And the difference here is this treasure isn't for hiding. This treasure isn't for putting in a safe. Uh, this treasure is for sharing. Uh, this treasure is for proclaiming. Uh, Timothy was to pass it along to others, but not just to anyone. Again, our verse says to entrust it to what? To who? Faithful men, right? To faithful men who are able to teach others also. And maybe at first it doesn't quite hit you right and you think, now, now wait a second, I thought, I thought we're supposed to proclaim this to everybody. Of course we are. Of course we're supposed to proclaim this to everyone. However, remember, contextually, Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy. And Pastor Timothy is being commanded by the Apostle Paul to raise up more pastors. It's specific to Timothy's context He's giving him the charge to carefully and systematically train up spiritual leaders who will train up more spiritual leaders. And by the way, this model is exactly what Jesus did. Because you have Jesus who ministered to large crowds, right? He had a very, very public ministry and would share the gospel with whoever, whenever, wherever, Right? But then he also had his 72 who he trained and sent out. And then he also had his 12 who he spent a lot more time with than he did the big crowds, yes? And then within his 12, he also has his what? His inner circle. His three, his Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus takes the time to invest, particularly in those 12 and then those three and that only makes sense because you know we have limits. We can't minister effectively to everybody. You have to be selective. And so if you're going to invest your life in someone, if you're going to raise up pastors who will raise up pastors, who should you invest in? And you can see it in your notes if you have the notes, is we should be investing in men who have faith. And I promise you, I know how to spell faith. I know it's spelled weird in the outline, but that's just because I'm trying to pull out some attributes of what faithful men are like. So in your bulletin, I spelled it F-A-I-T-T-H-H. -H. I promise you it's not a typo. And again, I promise you I know how to spell faith. <laughs> so what are, we, what are we looking for in men to train up? And again, I think F-A-I-T-T-H-H, -H, faith, uh, corresponds with what Paul says here in our text. The first thing, that's an acronym, F-A-I-T-T-H-H. F stands for faithful, right? Faithful. So clearly these must be men who are believers, who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are men who are reliable. They're trustworthy, they're dependable. And obviously you can't always judge this right. Paul had those who he invested in who betrayed him, yes? Quite a few. Paul was greatly disappointed by men like, I don't even know how you say that name, Phygelus, P-H-Y-G-E-L-U-S, and Hermogenes and Demas, 
Uh, and there are others who betray him and, and men who he had spent a great deal of time with. So obviously we can't always get this right, but we are to look for men who are faithful, faithful in godly character. Flip over with me just to the book of Titus. It's just, just a page or two to the right in your Bible. Uh, but in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, we see the kind of faithfulness uh, that Paul is, is instructing Timothy and Titus to look for. So they must be faithful in godly character. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, uh, you find this. It says, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order. I love that phrase, put what remained into order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What should those elders be like? Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, remember the Bible has multiple words for pastor, overseer is one of those words. Uh, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. Those are the kind of men, faithful in character, uh, that Timothy and us today are to be looking for and seeking to train up and pray for. They're also to be faithful in doctrine. Keep, keep your finger there, Titus 1.9. We see that they must be faithful in doctrine because the Apostle Paul writes, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, even if they try and cancel you <laughs> in our culture, or cancel culture, huh? So they must be faithful, faithful in character, reliable, dependable in doctrine, able to teach it, able to rebuke those who teach otherwise in what Scripture has set forth. They must be A and I. They must be available, and they must be intentional. These are men who are ready, they're willing, and able to jump in with two feet to, to put the time into that it requires. These are men who are looking for ways to serve, who lean into the Bible when it's open. They love it, and they can't, can't get enough of it. They show a deep interest in it. They must also be teachers. That's the first T in that acronym of faith. They must be able to teach. We've already talked about that a little bit. If they're a teacher, they must also be the second T. They must be teachable, Right? If you're going to be a teacher, you need to be teachable. No one is able to teach well unless that person is teachable. Timothy would not be able to teach others or have received the teaching from Paul if, if he was not teachable. We're not looking for know-it-alls. <laughs> There's a lot of those out there. We're not looking for someone who has a stubborn self-will, who wants to argue about everything or nitpick about everything. That kind of person's no good for teaching others. So we're looking for those who accept correction and with humility seek out wisdom from others. Then those last two H's, F-A-I-T-T-H-H, -H, hopefully you're tracking with that. Humble and hungry. They should be humble and hungry. 
a never-satisfied hunger to know God and understand His Word in deeper ways. Because again, how are you going to teach others unless this has mastered you, right? Unless you're hungry for this and humble to put yourself under it. Not above it, judging it, but under it, allowing it to judge you and sift you and, and change you and, and, and all those, those other things that we can't stand in our pride and our arrogance. We must be hungry and thirsty for God Hungry to know God, hungry to tell others about God. And having found those kind of men and entrusting them with, with doctrine and training them and, and pouring his life into them, he was to then encourage them and teach them to do likewise, right? So that's the third stage in the spiritual relay that these trained, faithful men are now to go and do the same thing all over again, right? So there is your four generations, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the faithful men, and the faithful men to others, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's the biblical plan for spiritual multiplication. And remember, I can't emphasize this enough this morning, this is a biblical command. This isn't, Paul's not saying, you know, Timothy, when you get a chance... I would sure love it if you could squeeze in some time to make this happen. But this is not optional. This is a mandate from our King in heaven. This is to be the norm of the church. We are to be spending a significant amount of time and energy into this sort of leadership training. Our God-given mission is multiplication. Our awesome privilege and solemn duty is to take the truth of God's word and pass it on to others. Not to, to keep it to ourselves, but to pass it on to others who will then pass it on to others, godly leaders and future generations. Think about it this way. If the church is going to be strong, and we need strong churches today, yes? There are a lot of weak churches today. If the church is going to be strong, it needs strong leaders. Where do those strong leaders come from? Do, do they just kind of raise up by chance? Do they just kind of suddenly show up on the scene? No way. Where do those strong leaders come from? 2 Timothy 2.2, we raise them up. That's what our text is saying. We, we raise them up. Sometimes people ask, are leaders born or made? You ever been asked that or think about that? Are leaders born or made? Here's what I think is the biblical answer to that. Yes, leaders are born to be made, right? Right? They're born to be made. It's the job of the church to come alongside them and make them, to shape them, to transform them with God's help and God's word and God's spirit. So, so this is my heartbeat. This is my, my mission. This is my vision for Orangeville Baptist Church to raise up a new generation of men who know the truth and they love the truth, they guard the truth, and they will skillfully and faithfully Preach the truth. That's the vision, the prayer for Orangeville Baptist Church. Let me say it this way. As Detroit is to the auto industry, as big tech is to Silicon Valley, so I want Orangeville Baptist Church to be training and multiplying and sending and releasing, replicating and replacing. 
My dream, my vision is to raise up spiritually mature leaders and not, not keep them for ourselves, but to give them away. It's not about Orangeville Baptist Church. It's about his kingdom and his gospel, which is growing all around the world. And there is a great need for strong, godly leaders in this world. And scriptures say we should pray for them, that the Lord of the harvest would raise them up. And scriptures also say we should train them up. And so it's my dream, it's my vision to be training up these men and kick them out of here with all the love in the world <laughs> to release them, to send them out and say, hey, that, that church over there, they're struggling. They, they need, uh, they, they've lost their pastor. Maybe he, he's died or moved on. And, and so we can take this man who we've, we've poured all this time and energy into and, and, and kick them out of here and send them to that church and strengthen that church. There's a need for more churches. And, and so I would love to have a, a church planting movement born out of this church where we're planting churches. Also, people overseas. There, there's a need for missions overseas, especially to what's called unreached people groups. Are you catching the vision? Raise up and send. Raise up and send. Raise up and send. How do we do this? And you remember, our again, our discipleship pathway, believe, belong, become, build. Build is kind of the end of that uh, pathway, but not really because you get there and the idea is you start it all over again. You start ministering to others who will then believe, belong, become, build, and they turn around and do it again. That's how that is designed. But if you remember under build, there's a couple of things under there, but one of them is internship. And one thing we want to do as a church, we've been working hard on this. Your, your church leaders have been working hard on this. Uh, to create this internship program. It's pretty much up and ready to go. And the goal is simple. It's exactly what we've been talking about, to raise up godly leaders who will in turn raise up more godly leaders. And the focus of this internship will be on exactly what we just talked about, developing men of character and conviction and competence. It will be very, very practical also. Uh, these men will be involved in real-life theology. Uh, they'll be teaching and, and preaching and, and at, at, at weddings and funerals and leadership meetings and, and visiting. And whatever a pastor normally does, we want them doing it. Why? So we can test them and train them and, Lord willing, affirm them and kick them out of here uh, to keep on keeping on for the glory of the Lord and saturating Barry County with that kind of leadership. And I would just say that maybe there are some men in our midst this morning, I know our crowd is a little bit small this morning, but maybe there are some men here this morning where you've had that inward call. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, if anyone desires or aspires to be an elder or an overseer, he desires a good thing. That's that inward call. Uh, that the Spirit first begins with, begins to give you that inward or compulsion or ambition the, that you want to be in that kind of ministry. You want to serve that way. Maybe there's some men here this morning who have that inward call. You've, you've felt that. You don't know what to do with it. I just, just want to give you a, a heads up that at the conclusion of the service as we're singing the final song, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be bold and courageous and to stand up and come down here and say... I think God is calling me for that. 
And we rejoice in that. What our church wants to do is test you and train you and affirm you and kick you out of here and send you on for the glory of the gospel all around the world. That's our mission as a church. That's our ambition as a church. Now, maybe you've heard all that, and you're saying, that, that sounds great, Pastor. I, I don't want to be a pastor, so what do you got for me? <laughs> and my response to that would be, one is, you can be praying for God to raise up these leaders. Secondly, uh, you can keep your eyes open for these kind of leaders and encourage them. But above all, I, I think I can take this text, and while it's specifically applied to pastors, I think I can apply it to anyone, because the ministry of multiplication is not just for pastors, it's for all of us, right? We've all been given the commission to go and make what? To make disciples, we should all be, be teaching and seeking to multiply and, and replicate what the Lord is doing in our life and the lives of others. Every one of us here should know the truth, love the truth, proclaim the truth. Are you a husband? Then teach your wife. Are you a wife? Teach your husband. Are you a mom or dad? Teach your kids the things of the Lord. Are you, are you a grandma or a grandpa? Then teach your grandkids. Pass God's word forward. That's the mission. Pass God's word forward. The biblical principle is older teach the younger. The more mature in the faith uh, should be teaching those who are newer in the faith. So this question, this text is asking you this question, who are you teaching? Who are you discipling? Who's speaking God's word into your life? And who are you speaking God's word into their life? How, how are you taking this and passing it along to others? Are you doing that? Are you doing that? And of course, we're all responsible to be sharing the gospel. Are you doing that? Imagine it this way. Imagine in your mind a human chain. Can you picture that? A long chain of, of men and women holding hands. Who oh, no, holding hands, right? COVID. <laughs> They're holding hands. There's this long human chain that, that extends from present day all the way back to Jesus. Picturing that in your mind? This human chain. We are linked together, hand to hand, or, or arm to arm, or however, however it is you're picturing that in your mind. This, this living chain. And this morning, you recognize, I hope, you are part of that chain. You are part of that chain. And what I want to say to you, and what the scripture is saying to you to this morning, is don't break the chain. Yes? Don't Break the chain. Take God's word and pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. And imagine the impact if we took this seriously. There's a great video. You can watch it. If you want, message me and I, I can send you the link to it. Uh, but this message by this guy, Admiral William H. McRaven. Uh, he was, I'm not sure if he still is, the ninth commander of U.S. Special Operations Command. He gave a commencement speech at the University of Texas at Austin on May 17, 2014. So you can Google that and find it. Uh, he spoke to 8,000 students. Here's what he said. This is kind of near the opening. <clears throat> he says, <laughs> the great paragon of analytical rigor, ask.com, uh, says that the average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. That's a lot of people. 10,000 people in their lifetime. So speaking to 8,000 students, he says, if every one of you 
changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those folks changed the lives of another 10 people, that in five generations, roughly 120 to 125 years, the class of 2014 will have changed the lives of 800 million people. Then he says, 800 million people, think of it, over twice the population of the United States. If you go one more generation, you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. Then he says, if you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people and change their lives forever, you're wrong. No, we don't have 8,000 people here this morning. <clears throat> I'm not sure how many people we have here this morning. We typically average 120, 130. So let's go with that number. So I did a little bit of math, and I'm not very good at math, so feel free to try and correct me on this. Math is not my strong suit. I know for some of you it is. Feel free to correct me if I did this wrong, but I, I pulled out my phone, and there's a calculator on it. <laughs> and I just did a little, simp I think, simple math. Uh, but if you do the math and say there are 120 people here, and if each one of us changes the life of 10 people, that's 1,200 people, right? 120 times 10, 1,200, right? Am I right so far? <laughs> that's 1,200 people. In five generations, we will have touched 120 million. Isn't that incredible? In six generations, the way how he did it, 1.2 billion. That's if you and I in this room impact 10 different people. It makes sense when you read in Acts, they changed the world, they turned it upside down. When you think about that, doesn't it? Sometimes we tend to think, when we look at our size and think, well, what can God do with us? No, you're looking in the wrong place, you gotta look at God. God plus one, that's a majority. And God, he's given us this ministry of multiplication. Isn't it exciting? Who are you discipling? Who are you, who are you passing this along to? And are you helping them and teaching them to pass it along to others? Don't break the chain, right? So that's, that's the mission. Point number two, very quickly, strength for the mission by grace made strong. Maybe you've heard all that I've said and you're like, Pastor Andrew, you are crazy. Well, it's about time you figure that out. <laughs> I am crazy. <clears throat> but maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're tempted to think, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. I want you to remember a few things about Timothy. You see, Timothy, he's a pretty young guy, probably early to mid-30s. Timothy was very prone to sickness. He was often getting sick. But there's something else you need to know about Timothy. He's no Paul. He's very, 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 very timid. His temperament is shyness. He's what we today would say, he's introverted. And yet, Paul thrusts upon him this mission, this imperative, this great responsibility. It's kind of like Moses and Jeremiah and so many others in the scripture. Timothy was exceedingly weak and reluctant. So maybe this morning you feel that and you think, I'm weak. Or I'm, I'm young, or I'm, I'm old, or I'm, I'm shy, or, or whatever excuse is, is coming to your mind. I, and I can't help but think about that show from years ago about the weakest link. Remember that? And that lady would say, you are the weakest link. Uh, maybe you feel like that this morning. 
you feel like the weakest link. Well, look at verse 1. You then, my child, be what? Strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus can take timid Timothy and turn him into a bold witness. Jesus can take wavering Simon and make him a rock. Jesus can take the tongue-tied, fear-driven Moses and turn him into a fearless leader. Be strong, not in yourself. It's a present passive participle, uh, and it's also it's a yeah, present passive participle, which is to say, be continually strengthened, right? Present, be continually strengthened, but it's passive, which is to say that strength doesn't come from you. It's not saying, well, keep, keep charging yourself and strengthening yourself up. Where does that strength come from? Be strengthened by what? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let God make you strong. Allow God to strengthen you. The source of your strength is not you, it is Jesus. You didn't save yourself in your own power. God did that, that was grace. You don't have the power to do what God might be working on your heart to do right now, but Jesus does. Jesus does. Grace has been abundantly given to us, and therefore we can and must be strong. Listen to how uh, one, one author put this. He says, quote, Nothing would come Timothy's way as he guarded the gospel that he, would have, that he would not have the graced strength to handle. No person, no pain, no problem, no responsibility, no tragedy. There would be no time when he could stand tall. That is true for all those who are in Christ and under his grace. If he calls you to do something, he will supply the sufficient strength through his grace. If he calls you to step forward, he will give you the power. If he calls you to step up, he will give you the fortitude. If he calls you to endure, the strength you need will be found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that so encouraging? That's so encouraging to think about his grace. All that God requires of us, he gives us in himself. He gives us in his grace. He intends to accomplish all that he intends to accomplish through us by his grace. So maybe this morning you feel exhausted, you feel worried, you feel like you're at the end of the rope, you feel burdened. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And thinking about our discipleship pathway and the internship ministry that we're, we're looking to launch and the ministry of multiplication, I want to say it this way. We need a new generation of Timothys. We need a new generation of Timothys. Timothys who are determined to proclaim God's word, who are prepared to suffer for it, Verse 3 says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So we need 
Some Timothys who are determined to proclaim God's word, who are prepared to suffer for God's word, and will pass that on uncorrupted to future generations. In the midst of the spiritual downgrade that is happening all around us, in the midst of churches that are relaxing their grip on this, we are in the midst of a spiritual landslide. And we have churches all around the country who are, who are taking God's word and they're fumbling it and they're in danger of dropping it entirely. In the midst of this, we need Timothys who will rise up and have this firmly gripped in their hands and in their hearts and in their lives. We need these Timothys. While many are falling away or compromising the faith, we need Timothys who will stand strong and pass the word forward, while many are antagonistic, increasingly so antagonistic toward God's word and his teachings, we need Timothys who in the grace of God will stand firm. We also need other faithful chains in the link who will pass it forward in their homes and their schools and their workplaces, wherever, whenever, whoever. Don't, like I said before, don't let that chain break with you. Don't be the broken link in God's chain of his grace and his word moving forward in you. Continue the mission. Continue the mission. And let's be intentionally making disciples from pagans. Remember Ben at the beginning of the message? From pagans to what? To pastors, from pagans to pastors, believe, belong, become, build. Let's be serious about this mission that God has given us, this ministry of multiplication, and let's be praying. Let's be praying. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, the harvest is what? It's plentiful. The fields are white under harvest, but the laborers, there's not very many. There's just, just, just a few. Pray then, what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would do what? That he would send forth laborers. Are you praying that? So I'm going to invite Merlin to come up. He's, he's going to lead us in that closing song. Like I said, I, I want to give an opportunity here. I, I know the, the crowd is, is smaller this morning, but I just, I just want to provide that opportunity. If there's any men in our midst who have that heartbeat, that desire, uh, that inward call to be a pastor, I'm just going to encourage you to come forward. And then when we end that song, I'm going to invite, um, I'm going to invite all of us to just stay where you are. Don't, don't bug out of here when we're done singing. Stay where you are. Pray with your family. And pray, if any men come forward, pray for those men, but especially pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up these labors, right? Let's be praying that. Let's be serious about this.